0: The Turbo Team Podcast.
1: With Jake Brend.
0: Don't you go anywhere near that!
2: Ben Neeson.
1: Like just being caught metaphorically with your pants down. And Alex Powell. Do
2: you know when I saw those cute one time? Tommy Gun. Reviewing and breaking down movies and TV shows from all genres. This is The Turbo Team Podcast.
0: Hello and welcome back to the Turbo Team Podcast. I'm Jake Brend. I forgot what week it is. It's probably like what, week six? I think six. this is
2: episode six.
0: Yes. Something like that. That's probably <laughs> a good sign if we can't remember what episode it is. And I'm joined by the regulars, Alex and Ben. How are you doing, Alex?
2: I'm doing good, Jake. How are you?
0: I'm good. It's been it's been a good week of watching movies. I've been bored, so getting a lot done. Bored
2: in the house, and you're in the house bored. Yeah. I don't get it. The TikTok ben, are, venue. you How
0: are you doing, Ben? Michael, Sarah.
2: Oh, you know, just smiling through it all. Nothing special. We're spicy. back with we're back with NFL Street edits from Instagram. How you doing, NFL Street edits? <laughs> <laughs> Dude, check that page out. Anyone listening? Yeah, dude. If you're listening to this, follow NFL Street edits on Instagram. It's coming back. Hey, have you done Derrick Henry yet?
1: <laughs> Two worlds collide
0: with NFL Street edits fan base and the Turbo Team podcast fan base. Who knows? Maybe they're the same people.
2: There's a lot of similarities between them.
0: <laughs> yeah, tons of similarities between NFL Street fans and Turbo Team podcast fans.
2: You want to get in? You want to and- get into Django this week?
0: Yeah, so for this week we watched one film in the Tarantino. I want to say
2: cinematic, cinematic universe.
0: <laughs> yeah, the Tarantino Adequately cinematic put. universe, and it is Django Unchained, a 2012 film starring Jamie Fox, Christoph Waltz, Leonardo DiCaprio, Samuel Jackson, just to name a few. Alex, you want to take us through the awards that it was nominated for and won?
2: Uh, yes. So uh, Django in 2013 was nominated for – they had several nominations, uh, Best Screenplay, Picture of the Year, uh, Best Achievement in Cinematography, and Best Achievement in Sound Editing. And then Christoph Waltz was nominated by uh, Best Performance by an Actor in a Supporting Role. Uh, Django won Best Screenplay uh, written by Quentin Tarantino, and then Christoph Waltz did win uh, Best Performance by an Actor in a Supporting Role. As far as people he beat out, I have no idea, but it doesn't matter because they won. <laughs>
0: yeah, so like most Tarantino films, it does very well at the awards, and it's also, even more important, it's just more fun to watch, and it's it's a really good movie, and we'll get into it. But before we get into it, how many times have you seen Django leading up to this podcast?
2: Probably three or four. I, I mean, I like it, but it's not like a movie that I... I consistently watch.
1: That's that's different for me because I only started off just watching half of this movie about like a month or three ago. So I hadn't really known a whole lot, whole lot about it. I'd known the gist of the film and I know the basic beats that it followed, but I hadn't actually watched it all the way through before. But I, I was pleasantly surprised. <laughs> I was pleasantly unsurprised by how uh, Tarantino delivered this movie. Yeah,
0: this uh, was my first time viewing it, which is kind of a trend when it comes to the movies we've been watching.
2: You're kind of new to the uh, Tarantino universe, aren't you, Jake? Like You're yeah. just now starting to watch all the movies?
0: Yeah, so I watched Pulp Fiction probably like three years ago, but then mm-hmm. I didn't see another one until once upon a time in hollywood a couple months ago and and then i've watched over quarantine and glorious bastards and now Django unchained but i'm gonna try and knock a good majority out of them uh in the next month or so
2: uh before we go on so the 2013 best picture winner was argo starring ben affleck are you guys familiar with that movie
1: yes i've watched that before
2: do you think do you think Argo deserved best picture over Django?
1: No, that movie's boring. <laughs>
2: uh, uh, compared other... to
1: the those two are so contrastingly different. Argo's a slow burn that has lots of building tension that in my opinion doesn't really pay off as much as as much time it's given to marinate throughout the movie. Mm-hmm. While Django definitely probably wouldn't be a Critics, a critic's choice, or an aficionado's favorite of that year, is definitely worth your time and keeps you engaged throughout its whole runtime.
2: So the other nominees that year were Zero Dark Thirty, the Osama bin Laden uh, bio uh, movie,
1: uh, Silver Linings.
2: <laughs> bio- <laughs> Play- yeah, I was gonna say biopic, but it's not biopic. <laughs> Silver Lying's Playbook, Lincoln, Life of Pi, Les is Rob, Django, Beasts of the Southern Wind, which I've never heard of. Uh, and Amar and then also Argo so I, it, it's so I mean a lot of solid movies but I don't know if it's anything that like other than Django and maybe Life of Pi nothing that like I wouldn't suggest that like you need to watch you know yeah
0: yeah so do you guys want to get into what you liked about Django Unchained
2: uh, Ben you can go first
1: um, yeah, I mean, I think right out of the gate, uh, this movie is obviously dealing with the very heavy handed topic with slavery. And the um, previous movie before this, he dealt with the Holocaust and World War II with Inglorious Bastards. But I think in this movie, he was able to make light of a very dark subject in a very respectful yet entertaining tone. Like He acknowledges the atrocities in his own special way, but is able to keep it like entertaining and portrayed in a way that we hadn't seen before with lots of whip cuts and very exaggerated, exaggerated violence. violence. It's almost like a comic book movie for slavery, which is very different compared to the usual biopic or very straightforward, serious tones that most of these films or portrayals have had.
2: I think Tarantino does a really good job of taking serious subject matters and kind of making them a little lighter and making it something that the audience is entertained with throughout the whole thing. So like like you like you said before, the movie before Django was uh, *Inglorious Bastards*, which ta- which tackled the Holocaust. And the Holocaust is you know like slavery, a very touchy subject to a lot of people. And so you, it, when, you, when approach you approach writing a movie write, writing a movie write. about it, uh, you need to you know take kind of baby steps and not be so harsh about, you know, the subjects. And I think Tarantino does a really good job of making it a little lighter by mixing in humor, which he does so well with action and, you know, actually like getting historical parts of it. Correct.
0: I think uh, we can all agree that the funniest scene of the entire movie was the KKK three minute scene with Jonah Hill and they're complaining mm-hmm. about the masks not making sense and they can't see through the eyes. <laughs> like in, and like in such a what you like what you're saying a serious topic with slavery and obviously one of the darkest times in the history of america tarantino does find ways to make it a fun movie to watch at the same time as like grasping everything that's going on through the through the terrible events of slavery
2: yeah uh the the scene on the horse it's hilarious. I think, like you said, it's probably the funniest scene in the movie. the The two scenes that really stood out to me in in Django were the scene with Jonah Hill and the and the like the Klansmen. Just because like it's it's funny. It's that was like I don't know. It was like eight minutes where Tarantino like didn't really like try and tackle anything serious. He was just like, all right, let's just write in like an eight minute part that's just pure humor of kind of a you know a dark subject. And I, I really enjoyed that. And then. My The other scene that really stood out to me was in the, I think it was like the last half hour, where uh, Christoph Waltz's character kills uh, Calvin Candy, and then Django gets in the whole shootout throughout the whole house. Those two parts really stand out to me as, you know, kind of the, the high points of the movie.
0: Yeah, I'd agree with that. I think that, obviously, the original story is something that you can always expect with Tarantino. But when it isn't such a dark subject like the Holocaust, like he did with *Inglorious Bastards and with slavery, it's really refreshing that it's not just like a repeat of stories that you've heard, even Mm -hmm. though there's tons of good movies out there about um, just like the basic and normal stories of slavery. The way that he creates an original story that's not like it's not that unrealistic to have a to have someone free a slave and then they become bounty hunters together. Like mm-hmm. it it could have happened, it could not have, but it's it's something fresh that we've never seen before and it brings so many new dynamics that Christoph Waltz and Jamie Foxx just hit out of the park.
2: Uh so a little a little question I have for you guys. We, we, you you both pl- played Red Dead Redemption 2, right? Yep.
0: I I played like the first 20%, but I never finished it.
2: Uh, okay but you play a little bit did you guys see any similarities in between this movie and red dead 2 you know besides the fact that you know the whole like red dead 2 takes place after the civil war and this is before the civil war but did you see any similarities in between the two because i did i think there's
1: definitely just some clear similarities just between the settings from venturing between plantations and going into the mountains and going across the desert, I believe, at one point, or some very Mm -hmm. western area at some point. But both of these take place in the southeastern uh, state of not... They're both not pre-slavery America, but just very unbalanced, lawless, like, obviously despicable parts in our country's history and are exemplified pretty strongly in both tones. But yeah, like honestly watching the movie, I kind of felt like just going down and like turning on the Xbox and like trying to blow up some of these plantations myself or something like that.
2: Yeah. Just Cause the, they really fit the, together. Uh, the part, like I was talking about before when, you know, Django kind of goes on that rampage throughout uh, Candyland, the the house uh, that reminded me a lot of the part in red dead too, uh when Uh, Arthur's, like, going on the rampage throughout Braithwaite Manor.
1: Yeah.
2: That, that like, when I was watching that part, I was like, this is exactly that mission in Red Dead 2. And so, and Red Dead 2 obviously came out five years after, uh, Django so I I wouldn't be surprised if there was a lot of influence in between the two because Grand Theft Auto and Tarantino movies kind of there's a bit of similarities at times where it is touchy subjects but they do mix in kind of dark humor to kind of make it a little bit lighter and so I I wouldn't be surprised if you know Django was an inspiration uh for Rockstar when creating Red Dead 2
1: they do have similar tones and the types of games they produce with Red Dead Or with like the Grand Theft Auto series, especially with Reservoir Dogs and the Hitman Mm -hmm. aspects of Pulp Fiction. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So
0: on top of like the story, I think that probably my favorite part of the movie is probably just the characters and the and the casting of it. The top four of Fox, Vaults, um, DiCaprio, and Samuel Jackson is just it's so good, and I think that. Jamie Foxx is awesome as the lead, but mm-hmm. in every scene with Christopher, with Christoph Waltz or um, with Candy or with Steven, like those guys steal whatever scene they're in. And they are, they're just incredible. Um, especially at, once they get to the Candy Ranch. I think mm-hmm. that, like, he's one of the worst, like, villains that I've ever seen in, like, a movie, just watching. You see just like the how brutal the wrestling is, where the slaves are forced to kill one another. And there's a ton of violence in that in this movie where where you can like laugh at and be like, oh wow, that's purposely over dramatic. But then there's some violence where you're like, that's disturbing. Yeah. The slave fight and the whipping and all that stuff, like, is it's a really good contrast between like disturbing and. It shows, like, the historical significance, and then there's also the, like, the final shootout where you can tell that Tarantino is just, like, so aware of his, of himself. He's so aware of the movies that he's making, and he plays off of that and just over-dramatizes the violence, and I think he did a really cool job of doing that.
2: Mm Mm-hmm. You talk about uh, the casting, uh, so some of the other people that are up for the role of Django, which I agree is was perfectly cast with Jimmy Fox, but try to imagine Django. but so the guys that are up for the role were Will Smith, Idris Elba, Chris Tucker, Terrence Howard, uh, Michael Kenneth Williams, who is from uh, The Wire, and Boardwalk Empire. Uh, and then Tyrese Gibson, who is from the Fast and the Furious franchise, so like those those and along with Jamie Foxx were all the finalists for the role of Django. And I think I think Tarantino did a really good job of casting, you know, Jamie Foxx as Django. Because if I had to watch a whole movie with uh, with uh, Chris Tucker playing Django, I don't think I could get through it. You know.
0: Yeah, they definitely made the right choice with with having jamie fox and as i was as i was watching this movie i just i knew who was in it um but once you get to about like halfway through you still haven't seen samuel jackson so i was curious like what his role in the movie was going to be i was curious if he was going to be like just a slave on the ranch that maybe fights along Django. then i get to the point where he's just like the stuck-up slave that thinks he's better than everyone and kisses candy's butt and he's probably my favorite character in the entire movie.
2: He Candy? Candy no, or Samuel Steven, Jackson?
0: Steven. Steven? Yeah. He is
1: so funny. And I he's think like, I wouldn't say he's funny, just like despicable like the whole
2: time. That's that's ironic cuz my least favorite character throughout this is Steven.
1: Was <laughs> <laughs> well, that because you just don't like the character or you just like don't care
2: at all? He just he annoys me. I don't I don't know. There's just something that's, about He he was so connected to the plantation and he's so I don't know like he seems like like
1: he's defensive about it.
2: He's he seems like he's trying too hard to please you know Calvin Candy or just like just his master in general. So he said he was there with Candy's father and I think his grandfather maybe. So he just seems like like he's trying like he definitely has been around the block a few times and so he kind of gets it, but he he doesn't seem like he's. Like he's happy with who he is, and like where where his places in life, and that he just tries so hard to please, you know, the white man. That it just it really, just really annoyed me. Compared to Django, who's so much about you know just chaos and destruction and stuff and he 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 wants to change everything he doesn't want to go against the status he wants to go against the status quo and so him him and steven's character are just polar opposites and it really annoyed me watching jingo's character throughout the throughout the whole movie and how how he was you know trying to become a free man and he's living this life as a as a free black man and then jingo and then we get to steven who's happy being a slave and he, he and he wants everything to stay the way they are and he's not he's not open to change so it just annoyed me me well,
0: know, i think but, I, I think i agree with you that like himself as a character is despicable but i think i like how he was written like the most and i think he was okay. the most entertaining character in the movie and just I, like you go ahead ben
1: okay <laughs> i was just gonna jump in because saying like i kind of disagree with the point that you were trying to make of how those two are supposed to be represented uh, i saw Django as only he took what means he had in order just to be with the woman he loves and escape with her. Like though that was his only goal. Like throughout, like his freedom and being able to enable himself to become his own person. So I think his only drive really was to just uh, meet with Broomhilda and being able to be with her and like run away and not have to be slaves and just to be with each other. While Stephen was more just a person who never really had any drive or was never had the opportunity to be free from this one plantation, this one place in his life. So he became a part of this place. He became like a part of uh, what uh, grew him and what he became and what all he's known. So I think that Stephen is sort of an exemplary, he's an example of subservience out of just uh, fatigue from having to be there for a long time while Jane goes more just near... uh, pinpoint sided on trying to meet with broomhilda
2: and get away with her yeah you make a you make a good point i i mean i i don't i, did, I don't think that jango's main goal was to you know just change change like Louise it was just to be crazy i just think like i agree that he had a point he wanted to be with his wife broomhilda and i just think he Instead of trying to, you know, tiptoe his way around and sneakily try to get to her and free her and stuff, he was just like, why do I need to, you know, try and hide and just be sneaky about trying to get to my wife when I can just, you know, destroy everything in my path to get to her? And I think that's that that was his ultimate goal. But I just I just think that he he going against what tradition is was maybe not his intention, but it's what he did anyway. Yeah.
0: One thing that I loved what this movie did was outside of Calvin Candy, a lot of the slave owners were like dumb people,
1: and And Andy's dumb.
0: No, I I mean like not well spoken. Well, neither is Candy
1: because like they had a couple words where he wasn't able to keep up, and he was outspoken by uh, King, and they also made the point to say, oh, don't speak French around him. He just likes yeah. being called Monsoor. If you do, it'll embarrass him. He, yeah. Uh,
0: the also the the three brothers that they go to kill, like they're yeah. total like hillbillies. And I think that in a lot of movies about slavery in the Civil War, these plantation owners are built up as these like super polite, um, come off as like smarter than you people. And I love how Tarantino makes Schultz. Like, so much smarter than everyone, and it's a second language. And I think that it really shows that, like, Americans are stupid for having slaves. Like, I think that was kind of the underlying message. Like, if you support slavery and if you still support racism, this is how much dumber you are than Dr. Schultz, who speaks two different languages and he speaks your native language better than you do.
2: Schultz, I think. Uh, like schultz wasn't an abolitionist he was just a straight bounty hunter he just but obviously he's from germany where he just disagreed you know, on the topic of racism yeah he like he, he came from germany where obviously they didn't have slavery of you know of african-americans and so he he while he didn't agree with he didn't agree with slavery he wasn't an abolitionist his main goal wasn't trying to free slaves he was just a bounty hunter and he's like well jingo like he can help me out. He's an asset. So, you know, I might not just, like, throw him to the wolves after he, he you know, helped me with what I needed. So I, I really admire that about him.
0: Um, so one thing that I did... Another thing that I really liked about the movie, obviously it's a ton. There's not too much I didn't like, but just Django's progression from this super timid, shy slave that doesn't really know how to shoot a gun towards the end where he's like james bond in the 1860s yeah and he he's so fearless In i know that he was acting as he was coming into the candy ranch but when he was just he was talking to the white guys and saying and uh what it, what he did he pushed him off the horse and shot him and he did all that stuff with so much confidence like that was good character development that paid off because if he was just like that the whole movie it wouldn't have really made sense like why he was even le- able to be let go but mm-hmm. from where he started to where he ended and like the scene with him riding on a horse away from the burning house like I thought like that part was so good and Jamie Foxx did an incredible um, performance along with that
2: mm-hmm. I-, I would agree uh the the in the beginning of the movie you can really tell you know jango's character has you said he was he was quiet and he was you know soft-spoken and just kind of listened but you could tell just from jimmy fox does a really good job of his facial expressions show he has like a lot of like built-up anger he just is like afraid to you know kind of you know expel that anger and throughout he the movie he exemplifies
1: stoicism
2: yeah and throughout that movie he gets more comfortable with you know kind of who he is and his role in the world and actually, obviously uh, Dr. Schultz brings him out of his shell in a way and so he's not afraid to stand up to white man as opposed to where when he was when him and Schultz first crossed, path, crossed paths
0: one thing that I didn't say when we were talking about Steven but the way Steven acted towards Candy is what college professors expect us to act um, when they say (laughs) a TikTok joke or make an office reference. When when DiCaprio's like, yeah, I spent two weeks in Boston, and Steven's like, two weeks in Boston? And just, like, dies laughing. (laughs) That's kind of what I thought about. Like, he was clearly just sucking up to DiCaprio, so he could get more benefits than he already had. But that's... Mm -hmm. I think that's what I liked the most about Steven was he was putting on such such a show that it became his character. And like he became he became no better than his slave owners when he decided to suck up to him and just accept it.
2: Yeah. Is there anything you guys didn't like about the movie? I think
0: maybe just the pacing of the ending. Mm-hmm. I think that after after the shootout started and after Django got pinned under the bookshelf. It kind of dragged a little more than it could have, but as I was thinking, there's no scene towards the end that I would even take out of the movie. So it it really is just nitpicking because if I can't if I can't figure out what scene I would take out, you can't really shorten it. But I just think that maybe the pacing of it could have been done a little better. But that's mm-hmm. one yeah. small gripe I had.
2: Mm-hmm. I think I would agree. Ben, is there any is there any negatives you had about the movie?
1: Uh, nothing too strong. It's sort of a point that goes along with Jake's, where at times I felt like there were the scenes where the characters would just be talking to each other and a lot of times just talking about nothing or just discussing for an extended period of time compared to the quick-cut montages that we'd receive through throughout most of the film uh kind of slowed down the movie for me but then that kind of made me realize oh yeah this is a tarantino film like mm-hmm. i got so used i got so caught up in the action at points that i kind of expected a straight up action movie when that's not how tarantino writes his films and like i think that's just a testament to how off-putting from his usual style this was in a way and mm-hmm. how it got you to sit down and acknowledged the dialogue that he was written, that he was writing and the on-paper-excellence that he had crafted, but also just, like, the fun, like, popcorn-eating fun that he actually had filming these action scenes and a lot of just the shoot-em-up, shoot-em-up gore that they had throughout. So I think mm-hmm. those tones just contrasted a little bit, but that's just another nitpick. It's nothing special.
2: The, the one thing about Tarantino is he, like... He genuinely loves just movies, you know, like he's upset, like he, it's his obsession. And so he he writes these not well from the point of a you know professional writer and director and producer and stuff, but he also writes these from the a perspective of just a massive movie fan. And so I think that's what makes his movies so like appreciated and loved by audiences is he writes them not only from his director point of view, but also from a point of view of a fan and what fans want to see and stuff. And I—that's I, something I really—I love Tarantino movies. I mean, I don't—I really have a problem with any of them, but that's—that's that's one thing I really—I really enjoy about watching his movies. That and they're just like—they're just like Tarantino movies are just fun to watch, you know. They, they're one of those movies where you're scrolling and you see it pop up on the TV and you're like, oh, and, oh, you know, The Hateful Eight. Okay, I'll sit down and watch this. Oh, Reservoir Dogs. Why not, you know? So, uh, before we get on to our, our rating, is there anything else you guys want to talk about it?
0: Yeah. So we've. We've touched on the story of the characters and just like the overall movie quite a bit. But one thing that I know you wanted to talk about, Alex, was the soundtrack. Do you want to – I personally loved it, but I think you went a little more in-depth on it. Do you want to talk about that at all?
2: Oh, I just really – I just really liked – I just love the soundtrack. I Like I was telling you guys before we started filming, I was watching – I've only seen this like like I said three or four times. But I, I – when we were watching it, I – Like I didn't, I I forgot how like good the soundtrack was. Like it's got like a Rick Ross verse on it. Like I was watching it and then Rick Ross came on. I'm like, okay, I'm really, I'm really getting into this now. And just like the main song, it's like Django. It's just a lot of catchy music that really fits the mood, you know. And it's not, uh, like I said, Tarantino does a really good job of giving the audience what they want. He doesn't, he doesn't want to put in boring old you know country music from the 1860s because you know that won't entertain audiences he wants to put in like rick Ross. also this isn't like a traditional like i wouldn't consider it a western i don't would you consider it a western it's a lot of things but spaghetti western is probably out there yeah yeah like, like i like i wouldn't consider it a traditional one and so and tarantino like makes like he understands that too and he 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 created the soundtrack knowing and like he like, this isn't going to be traditional, so why make the soundtrack traditional, you know? So why not include a couple rap songs and stuff? And also, like, also like traditional stuff that fit the mood. It's just, I, like, I was sitting there watching it, and, like, times when it was, like, st- when they were stalling, just from, like, when they were going place to place, like, the song really kept me engaged in the in the movie, along with the cinematography, which is phenomenal, which I don't think we've touched on. I'm not going to go too in-depth with it, but that shot where uh, Schultz and... Uh, Schultz and Django are riding out into the field, and then it's just, like, the mountains, like, they're riding into, you know what I'm talking about? Yeah. That's probably my favorite shot in the whole film.
1: I think this is definitely one of his most cinematic films when you think about it, just because there's so much tension and build-up just left to people scowling at each other or just making superhero stances (laughs) for the first time, like, when they're on Big Daddy's uh, plantation. (laughs) And he the saves, Daddy
2: starring Adam Sandler. Yes,
1: and when he <laughs> saves that one slave from being whipped by like just approaching and shooting one of the brothers, and like his stance and his whole attitude is just shot in a very cinematic way, and I think that's like kind of a staple for this film that stands out compared to his other films. Yeah, I would agree.
0: Yeah, and also with the uh, with the Smoky Mountains, and there was the fact that they were traveling from Texas to West Virginia to Mississippi, there was a lot of time for, yes, that music, but also different different shots of mountains and scenery. So I think that he was at the benefit of moving across a great region of the country opposed to like maybe one or two locations. So I think that he really took advantage of the cinematography and the music in those in those cutscenes, uh, going between states, mm-hmm. I think that that was probably the best thing he did cinematography-wise. Yeah.
2: So you want to you want to get into the? Do you guys have anything else to say before we get into rating? Uh, so we do have our
0: fun it. facts that we can. Oh get
2: yeah. You want to go first? You want to go first, Jake, or you want me to go first? Uh, you can. All right. So Ben and Jake. So Tarantino, this was. Tarantino has nine movies ten If you if you split up both the kill bills so out of all of the characters tarantino has written there's only one that he says he truly loves, and it was in this movie which character was it steven Bendy do you have a guess
1: uh uh the candy's sister i don't know uh,
2: no well you're close there's calvin candy he says Tarantino oh. said Calvin Candy is the only character he's ever created that he, he doesn't really he doesn't really care for. Hmm. No, nothing too profound.
0: How he had the hots for his sister.
2: Yeah. <laughs> that was that was weird. <laughs> they just had to throw it in there. I mean I mean, Candy's kind of a weird guy, and I think it is just kind of the cherry on top that there's some awkward sexual tension between him and his sister. Well, it's between him towards his sister, but not his sister towards him, you know?
0: Yeah. I think that that might have been one of the little things that was just, like, poking fun at um, people in the South from back then.
2: Yeah, like you said— shots. Like you said, the character like the slave owners were dumb. And so like making one of them in love with his sister just kinda adds on top of, you know, their lack of intelligence.
0: Okay, one last thing before I get into my fun fact, this is one thing I just thought of. My favorite metaphor of the movie, I think, was after Candy bought his slave a beer after he murdered another slave in the fight. Just the difference between that beer that he got him was almost out of like pity and just like disgust when at the beginning of the film when Waltz broke into the bar and got uh Django a beer, like that was like out of respect and like out of, hey, I want you to help me, like we're gonna be friends, business partners. I thought that was just like a really cool cool way to kind of finish a story arc just from mm-hmm. the the clear differences between Dr. Schultz and Calvin Candy. Mm -hmm. so my my fun fact was it's hard to say in a form of a question so i'm just gonna read it out but in this in the dinner scene after candy finds out the real reason why Django and uh, dr schultz are there when he picks up the glass and slams it down it's not actually intended to break that was an accident but When it broke, it cut his hand and DiCaprio continued to act and continued to finish out the scene. And then obviously they cut away at some point and they they put on the makeup where he rubbed the blood on her face. But I thought that was just. That was a really cool thing to know about the movie and DiCaprio continuing to act through that in the same cut was just incredible
2: yeah i I knew that fun fact going into the movie and uh when watching i was I was specifically paying attention. I mentioned this to you guys before we recorded, but and figured out other people would like to know. but uh so when he smashes the glass and it cuts his hand, his hand starts bleeding uh, when when it's real blood, uh, candy's uh, on the hand that he cuts, his ring finger and his pinky finger are visibly like the blood is soaking down, and these two fingers are covered in blood. But to the part where, and then when it gets to the part where he rubs the blood on uh, Hildy's face, it is only his palm that is covered in blood. His fingers aren't. So you can tell when they did, like, like the like when the, the, different, the shots different, shots different shots are. Just something I thought it was interesting.
0: And yeah,
1: so, Ben, what would you rate this film? Um, personally, uh, I think it's a very good film. There's not much I have problems with. I'm not too picky when it comes to something that I actually enjoy watching and don't feel like I need to scrutinize or have any major problems with. So I give this one an 8 or a 9 out of 10.
0: Yeah, I'll agree with that. I think that Tarantino did a really good job of making such a tough subject fun to watch. It's about slavery, so I remember like watching Roots in middle school, and like, it's <laughs> good, but it's also like... It's not fun to watch because it's you can't believe that another human did that to another human, but Tarantino does a good job of making you like loathe loathe slave owners, but also have fun watching the movie. So I'm gonna give it an eight and a half out of ten,
2: yeah, I think I would agree with an eight and a half out of ten. it was it was like you said fun to watch. I had a lot of fun interest the, the eight the eight and a half out of ten isn't because there's like a ton of stuff I would change. I just think. Like Tarantino did as as best as he could with the subject and kind of the plot, so it, I I think like films like Inglorious Bastards and Pulp Fiction, he the plot has a little more that he can work with as opposed to this, and that's not not his fault. It was a great movie, but I think an eight and a half eight and a half out of ten is is a good rating for it.
0: So while we're on the subject of Tarantino movies, uh, this is going to be a short segment, but we're just going to discuss what our favorite Tarantino movie is. And because I've seen the least amount of movies out of us, I'm I'll probably just go first. I've seen Django clearly, and then also um, Pulp Fiction, Inglorious Bastards, and Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. And I think of those four, my favorite, by a slight amount, was Inglorious Bastards.
1: Any particular reason why?
0: I just think I like it's hilarious. I think the the performances by uh, Brad Pitt, specifically, so good. And the fact that B.J. Novak in it is hilarious. But
1: The Office. <laughs>
0: um,
2: I just love The Office.
0: It's, it's, it's it, Ryan. <laughs> I don't know how to explain why it's my favorite movie, but just the whole story between a bunch of people that hate Nazis killing Nazis. There's so much to love about it, and... The fact that like there's so many different demographics that aren't intertwined with each other, separately trying to kill all of them, I think is awesome and how it how it all unfolds with the movie theater burning down is really cool.
2: Yeah, I my, my favorite Tarantino is also in Glorious Bastards. It's actually my second favorite movie ever, behind No Country for Old Men. I think personally I think Inglorious Bastards is the perfect combination of humor action and like tension and violence you know like Tar, i think tarantino does an awesome job of you know like like the inglorious bastards and the actual inglorious bastards in the movie brad pitt's kind of gang of jews that kill nazis like like that that's like a cool idea it's not real but it's like a cool idea and then they also like it seems like they have fun doing it which is kind of weird but it's like for the viewer it's like a funny thing to watch like when uh Like the part where the Nazi like they capture the Nazis and then they're like, All right, you can either tell us what to do or we're gonna get you know, the the guy or our buddies are gonna come out here with a bat and he's gonna bash your skull in and he's like doing
0: gosh what's it called? The bear the bear Jew. The bear, Jew. the bear
2: Jew. yeah. He's like, are oh, the bear Jew's going to come out here and bash your skull with a bat? And then he comes out here, and he's just pretending like he's playing baseball, and he's just batting the dude's skull in. I mean, like, it's dark, but it's also funny because it's, like, the guys are having fun, and, like you said, BJ Novak's in it, too, which, like, that, that's Ryan from The Office. Why is he in this? And then also Christoph Waltz's character. Like, every scene he's in is just filled with tension because, like, you can clearly tell that every every like scene he's in he's the smartest one in the room and like like, you don't know if like he can't like it always seems like he's catching on to the act but like he's not showing it he's playing along and i think so and then the tension with that and then the and then just like the history behind it's really interesting to watch too and i think inglorious bastards is an awesome film and i think it's i think it's as close to a masterpiece as tarantino has
0: as the final line of the movie goes, I think this is my masterpiece. I don't think <laughs> that was by accident.
2: It, it wasn't. Definitely not by accident.
1: Ben, what's your favorite? Um, Honestly, all of these are so close. Uh, I'm kind of a unique snowflake, but I like Tarantino <laughs> movies. So it's kind of hard to distinguish between all of them. But I decided to go off of the factor of what I enjoyed most off of my first viewing... And honestly, with that choice in mind, I had to go with Kill Bill Volumes 1 and 2. They're considered one film, so that's what I'll count them as. But just, that's like Tarantino with color for me because it's such a crazy premise with this wacky hit girl who's going across and taking revenge on all the people that have wronged her, just killing lots of different people. There's a whole, like, fourth of the movie that's all done in an anime style which is kind of crazy but it's just a movie that on my first viewing i found the most enjoyment
2: out of so that's what i'm going to go for as my favorite i i so the only tarantino movies i haven't seen are kill Bill volume two and then death proof which i think death proof is actually like hard to find anywhere because I don't know, I don't know a whole lot of people that seen it, but I didn't, I didn't care for Kill Bill the first time I saw it. The only two Tarantino movies I didn't re- like were Jackie Brown and Kill Bill. And I, but I got, I think I'm gonna, I haven't seen Kill Bill for a long time, so I'm probably gonna rewatch it, and then I'll get back to you guys on what I think. But Ben, Ben, you said that like you were. Uh, like you're kind of mainstream for liking tarantino movies but like i don't know why that's a bad thing like Tarantino's kind of a questionable guy like he said he's kind of toxic as a director and he's making like actors cry and stuff and obviously he's close relationship with harvey weinstein so while he does have his faults like it's one of those things where you got to separate the art from the artist you know and i think like liking a tarantino movie there's nothing wrong with that because they're really good movies like yeah the guy's questionable but the movies are Awesome, like they're fun. Like, like I said before, Tarantino movies are just fun to watch. Like it, there's so, there's so much stuff. Like there's enough stuff in it for everybody. So I don't know. I don't know making fun of someone for liking Tarantino movies is just I don't know. Get it's kind of weird. Yeah, get a, a life loser.
1: St- struck a nerve there. <laughs> all I meant is that know. they're all good. I don't know. <laughs> I
2: don't know. They're all they're all, they're all good. Like <laughs> that was like my I said, point.
0: <laughs> I think it's safe to say that that might not be the first or the last nerve struck in the, in the, in this show, Uh-oh. because our last thing. So the, the famous Martin Scorsese, I think last summer made a comment that Marvel films in the MCU universe are, I want to say what, what was the word he said? Um, amusement park movies.
2: Something like that. Yeah.
0: So what he meant by that was like, they're kind of cheap movies. They're not, um, they're not like the type of art movies that he enjoys. They're more just kind of like pretty much the bare essentials, pretty simple, easy to understand, and just like a lot of action, simple plots, stuff like that. And Alex had the idea of a discussion of if Marvel films should be considered cinema. And I'm interested to, to hear this discussion because I kind of stand in the middle of the topic. But uh, I'll go to you first, Alex.
2: So... When I when I first heard the Scorsese film, he's like they're not considered real cinema. I'm like, of course they are. They're movies. Like they they spend years on these things. You know, they're it's like some of the highest budgets ever. Why why wouldn't they be considered cinema? And then the more I thought about it before I asked before I you know introduced asked you guys if this would be a co- good thing we would want to talk about, the more I kind of agree with Martin Scorsese. I think the way he went about it was kind of rude and kind of discredited. Because they aren't cheap movies. Like like I said, the budget on them is like some of the biggest budgets ever. Like I can't imagine what Endgame's budget was. That scene where at the end where they're all like coming out of the portals to fight Thanos. Like that has to be one of the most expensive scenes like ever, you know. Mm-hmm. But so they aren't cheap movies. But but like you said, they are they are simple. Like there's no like if I'm watching you know Captain America a Winter Soldier, I don't think there's any underlying. Like messages or themes in Winter Soldier that like st- movies such as like like a Scorsese film like Taxi Driver. Like Taxi Driver has like unlimited amounts of underlying themes and messages in it. But those are yeah, I love the <laughs> Hotel. They're like how <laughs> I know you're good. But so like Taxi Driver has uh, unlimited themes and messages in it, and it, like talks about like talks about masculinity and stuff like that, and like you know, like child prostitution and stuff like and it's like deeper topics Where like like a movie like Captain America. Like I like Marvel movies. They're fun. I mean, I'm, a, I'm more of a Star Wars guy, but like I, I enjoy watching a Marvel movie. But it's it's more back. Well, like, of course, as you said, they're amusement park rides. And I do watch Marvel movies more for an amusement as opposed to when I watch Taxi Driver or Inglorious Bastards or something like that. And it is more about kind of the messages behind it and what I can take away from it and like what I can learn from it and also while also being entertained at the same time I think I think other movies like Django and 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 you know Taxi Driver and Goodfellas and Spotlight and stuff like that they have deeper meanings behind them as opposed to Marvel movies where it is just purely entertainment like it's just to amuse you there's nothing important you should walk out of the theater taken away with you know to live the rest of your life with
0: Yeah, I think that one aspect to it is there there's a great payoff to having twenty two movies in the the span of four <laughs> phases. But also it is it is just a different type of movie making that we've never really seen. Mm-hmm. Where if you want to understand Endgame and you wanna understand like every single reference, you probably need to see all the movies. And that's not saying you can't go watch Endgame and not having any not having seen any of the movies prior to it, you can still enjoy it. But if you do want to get the full experience out of the movie, you kind of have to see all the movies leading up to it, which I don't think is necessarily a bad thing, but it's also it's also not the type of movie making that guys like Quentin Tarantino and Martin Scorsese pride themselves in making, if that makes any sense. I would, I yeah, I that's, that, that. That's,
2: that's a really cool. good point. Yeah.
0: But I don't think that necessarily makes it. I wouldn't say that doesn't make it cinema. I just think it makes it like a new. It makes it a new like brand of cinema where you kind of do have to train yourself to watch a bunch of movies, and you have to you have to follow a lot of references, and you have to follow a lot of different Easter eggs. But mm-hmm. uh, I do think one one point I have watched a couple of videos on this. These are the types of movies that are taking. The, the, there's a limited, finite amount of movies that can be shown every year in a movie theater, and there's a finite amount of people that are going to see them. So, when movies like Captain Marvel and Fast and Furious Nine and Solo Star Wars Story, when those movies are continued to be remade and um, shot like that, and Captain Marvel was honestly kind of just like a remake of Thor or a remake of Ant Man, those are being shown in theaters over films like the Irishman or marriage story. And I think that is Parasite. That's kind of, that's just where the movie, uh, the movie community is headed, where it is more blockbuster um, reboots, remakes uh, universes rather than like the artistic films that we've been discussing a lot on this podcast.
2: I think when you're talking, so Scorsese just specifically mentions Marvel movies, but if you're talking about these movies, like these franchises like that, I think if you're talking about Marvel movies, you also have to bring into discussion, you know, like you said, the Fast and the Furious, Star Wars, you know, the the four people that watch the Star Trek franchise, like, you know, Harry, Harry Potter, like those franchises where it is like they are blockbuster movies, but they aren't necessarily like... You know, like best screenplay movies or best picture movies. Like those, you got to group those in with also your one-off movies like Django, Parasite, you know, Portrait of a Lady on Fire, those kind of movies. So I, this isn't an argument about Marvel movies. Essentially, it's a, a, a an argument about franchises versus, you know, like, like one-off movies like Tarantino movies or Scorsese movies or Christopher Nolan movies, you know.
1: I mean – <laughs> the whole point that you've been trying to make is that there's an argument. It's like one versus two, but there it really isn't. It's just that two different entities exist and that's about it. I mean, yeah, sure, there's a difference between someone with a particular vision taking the reins and being able to give in and then give the control where they can create what they have imagined and what they want to put on screen versus a whole gigantic corporation putting on a series of films that are made by a board and are funded out to be extensive along multiple different years and create merchandising for years to come afterwards. They're both mm-hmm. two different entities, but they're both within the same, uh, same experience, which is going to the movie theater. And if you're going off of the term cinema, that's just purely the form of going to see a film. It used to be on real, but now it's through our phones we're so addicted to our phones uh now <laughs> it's through phones uh our laptops uh, or tvs just however we consume uh our giant mass forms of media uh, i believe that like it's all just the same thing if it's shown in a theater then it's considered cinema they're just different genres different flavors on them
2: I think I think cinema is kind of a pretentious term. I just I, that's the only way I could describe kind of the point I was trying to express to you guys or like the the argument, you know. Yeah, I think I think that was
1: like my only problem with it was just the pretentious yeah. term.
2: Like I know so I I under I understand cinema's pretentious. I just like I couldn't cuz like I, to me what cinema this is going to get very art schooly, but and film schooly fucking hipster beanie wearing. But when I hear the word Stop. cinema no. I think Scott Pilgrim, yeah. Shout Those out are Scott related. When I think when I hear cinema, I think of you know more artsy stuff. I don't know why. I think it's just kind of the the connotation the word the and the the stereotype the word has. When but, you hear it coming like,
1: from Martin Scorsese.
2: Yeah, cinema to me is just like it, it's like artsy and like something that like needs a little more thought. I'm not saying that writing a Harry Potter movie or Star Wars movie or Marvel movie is easy, but like, they have a little more to work with, I think. I think the first movies are, like, difficult to write, but, like, like I'm sure Iron Man 3 wasn't difficult com- to write compared to Iron Man 1, you know? As, and, like, Harry Potter, like, the fourth Harry Potter movie wasn't as hard to write compared to the first Harry Potter movie. Yeah, so, but, I
1: disagree. There are different challenges that come with each.
2: Yeah, but they already have a plot and a main storyline established. It's just how they build off of those, st- uh, you know, uh storylines as Not opposed necessarily,
1: to... They can be their own individual arcs. I mean, I'd say it's even harder in a way because you have to find a way to create a new entity off of something that people are used to and expect to come seeing, like expect to come see and be familiar with. So you have to hit the marks of being familiar and true to that character as well as bringing an interesting take to the table. Otherwise, then you'll just get the Rise
2: of Skywalker. Yeah, that's a fair point. That, that's a good point. I just think... I, I don't know. Personally, I just think writing a franchise as a off not the first movie like starting off right starting out a massive franchise like that is hard like i'm not saying i think when you're making this argument you need to acknowledge that we're not saying it's easy to make these big movies but i just feel like you know writing like a movie like django and chain would be a lot harder to write especially as an original screenplay compared to like like you know the first avengers where they have like I think it was like six movies or something to work from already as and also comics and stuff, you know.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, as the as the movies and the MC are continuing to go on, there you get to the mega movies like Captain America Civil War and Avengers, Infinity War, Endgame. There isn't much more character development to be done intentionally. Like I don't think that when you, uh, when they were making Avengers Endgame, the same type of character development was being done that Tarantino needed to do with Django in Django Unchained, mm-hmm. because it, and I think this almost speaks to the quality and just the difficulty of the MCU, where they did such a good job of writing some characters like Iron Man and Captain America where the basic story and the events of the movie, that alone developed the characters to the point where they were, at the end of the movie, sacrificing themselves. So I think that whether it's cinema or not, I don't know if I have like the power to make that decision. But the fact that like it is still quality filmmaking and there is challenges that come with both of them, I think that... Yes, the MCU is more like of an amusement park than Tarantino or Scorsese movies, but I don't know if that necessarily makes it worse. Because I I think, think, yeah, I think depending on like the mood I'm in, there's like the other night I was really in the mood to watch the Spider-Man Far From Home just because I haven't seen it since it was in theaters. But uh then like last night I was really in the mood to watch Inglorious Bastards. So I think that if you're like the mood to to think hard and see these underlying themes there's a type of movie for that but if you're also just in the mood to relax and just watch a fun movie that isn't going to require you to like comprehend like a huge plot or a bunch of different characters like there's movies like the mcu yeah
2: i think i personally like the only big movie franchise that i'm really into is star wars i love star wars i've talked about that before but so i'm not going to get into it but like i never really have an itch to walk sit down and watch like any marvel movie like i enjoy them it's just not something that like i you know i really want to watch all the time as opposed to i am more of a fan of you know scorsese movies and tarantino movies and kind of movies like parasite or portrait of a lady on fire Quirky. I, i'm more like yeah, I know. I am, I watch foreign films. I'm I'm very quirky and you watch too. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, we'll get to that point later, but uh so I I do like those more one-off movies that aren't necessarily part of a franchise. And then the one outlier is Star Wars where I'm, I'm really into Star Wars. But like you said, like some people are just into that. Some people don't want to, you know, sit down and watch, you know, a 3-hour movie of The Irishman and then it'd be mm-hmm. over and be like, "All right, who's the characters? What are the messages between it?" Some people just want to sit down and watch, you know, Endgame and be like, "All right, that's cool. A lot of action, funny funny quotes. All right, cool. Time to you know move on with my day. And so I think I think it just comes down to a matter of opinion. Uh, to be honest, I personally don't prefer you know big franchises, but like some people do. So
0: I don't even know who you are.
2: I don't even know you. <laughs> <laughs> you took everything for me.
0: <laughs> I don't even know who you are. <laughs> 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 Inside
1: joke
2: not really it's from endgame. <laughs>
1: yeah. Well, it's from application. Thanos. Thanos. Thanos.
2: Uh all right, you guys have anything else on the topic or should we wrap her up?
0: Make it a 2-hour
1: show.
2: All right, so here we finish. go. We're going to review another movie that we're going live live react to
1: in a in a in a 1 hour. You guys want to watch <laughs> Paul Bart Mall Cop 2?
2: I would absolutely love to watch Paul Bart Mall Cop 2 and review it.
0: We'll, nah, take an, we'll take. I'm, I'm
2: interv- gonna. Interv- I'm gonna head out though, if that's the case.
1: We'll
0: take an interruption no. and we'll be back at midnight to, to watch That's
2: ironically one of my favorite movies of all time.
0: <laughs> <The> word ironically.
2: <laughs> all right, so I think that'll do it for us. Uh, ben. Ben kind of gets on me about this, but I'm gonna plug her, my social media again. You can follow me on Instagram at AlexPXWell and on, on Twitter at Alex30Powell.
0: You can follow me on Twitter and Instagram, jakebren Thirty Two, Snapchat, jbren Thirty Two, and TikTok. What's so funny, clown?
2: Oh yeah, you all can follow me on Tik. You can follow me on TikTok at Alex PX as well. Ben, you want to plug in your social medias?
1: Uh, yeah, you can follow me across all platforms at Jojo's Bizarre Adventures. <laughs>
2: <laughs> Shout out anime.
1: <laughs> well, for
2: all right.
0: Week six of the turbo team podcast has that ever happened to you i'm (laughs) jake friend with um, ben neeson and alex Powell, two guys with man buns uh thanks for listening and we will see you next week we hope you enjoyed this week's episode of the turbo team podcast as always our social medias are linked down in the bio our new weekly episodes are released every friday at noon on spotify